and to his, his disciples, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited, verse 16, Matthew 16, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? These are words that Jesus addressed to his disciples most likely in the third year of his public ministry. And Jesus targeted his message at this point in his ministry to his disciples. And if you go earlier in the context of Matthew chapter 16, you develop an appreciation for why Jesus says what he says and why he's going in the direction that he's going. He had asked them earlier, Who do men say that I am? And they gave various and sundry answers, and then Jesus made it very personal to them. He says, well, who do you? Who do you say that I am? And that sounds like a strange question for Jesus now in his ministry to be asking his disciples who had been following him, listening to him for over two years, and had already declared him to be the Messiah of God. But Jesus asked that question and made it personal for a reason. And he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter's the spokesman. And Peter answers for himself and the others. And he says, Well, you are the Christ. The Son of the living God. And Jesus pronounces a blessing upon Peter. And then Matthew tells us the conversation takes a turn. And we find out that Jesus begins to reveal to them that he must go into Jerusalem. And he must suffer many things of the chief priests, the elders and the scribes. And he must be killed. And on the third day he will rise from the grave. I don't know about you guys. I don't think they heard anything about resurrection at this point. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus just told them that he was going to suffer, and after he said he suffered, they heard die. And so I think they missed resurrection. And what Jesus was saying to them at this point was foreign to their thinking. He just told them he was going to die. The Messiah of God was going to die. And that was so foreign to their thinking, y'all know what Peter does. He takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Says, Lord, far be it from you. This cannot happen to you. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Because you are at this point, Peter, you are an offense to me. And he explains why. Because you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. You're not thinking God's thoughts. I'm not trying to pick on Peter. I would have made a mess of it too. That was hard for them to hear. 
And we look at this and say, that, that's strange. How do, you, how do you at one point confess Jesus to be the Holy One of God, the Son of the living God? How do you make that confession with your mouth and then turn right around and try to take Him aside and tell Him how to run His business? But we do that sometimes. I'm setting this stage because... I want us to appreciate that these are things that Jesus is saying to his disciples. You know, sometimes when preachers announce that they're going to preach on discipleship and they start out like I did going to Matthew chapter 16, sometimes we listen to this and we start thinking, okay, I think he got it wrong tonight. You do know, preacher, that you're talking to people who are here and it's Tuesday night. These are the committed folks. Look. Jesus said some of the same things to his disciples that he would say to fickle people. Go to Luke's Gospel chapter 14. Jesus said some of the same things to the crowds and the multitudes in Luke 14. And he does that for a reason. What he's trying to do in Luke 14 with the multitudes is he's trying to move them from shallow faith to uncompromising commitment. So why does he say these things to his disciples? in the third year of his public ministry, who had already confessed him to be the Holy One of God. Well, he needed to rebuke Peter, and he does it. I'll tell you why I think he's saying these things. And Peter had already kind of messed up a little bit. When Jesus says that something must be so, he said to Peter, I must go here. This must happen to me. This is going to happen. It must be so. When God says to me that something must be so, I need to accept it by faith, whether I understand it or not. And what Jesus needed to do and what Jesus does in a masterful way here with His disciples is he seizes a teachable moment to make sure that in following him, in committing themselves to him as God in the flesh, true, genuine faith surrenders to God even though we don't understand why God asks us to do what he asks us to do. That's faith. That's why I want to talk to us a little bit, share some things with us tonight about genuine, about true discipleship. The committed call of discipleship. When Jesus says a thing must be, I must accept it by faith. I must think God's thoughts and fully surrender my life to Him. I want to take a turn as we're, as we're going back. I just want you to be thinking about what we've already seen in Matthew chapter 16. If any man will come after me, me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever shall lose his life for my sake is the one who will find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? I want you to really key in on that language. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. I want you to be thinking about that language. I want to read something tonight. Especially targeting. I want parents to listen to this. It's called a hen house parable. 
a hen house parable. Papa Rooster and Mama Hen had a cute little chick. This chick will never have to scratch for his living like we did, they said. And they worked their beaks off trying to provide things for their little chick. They taught him the finest manners and allowed him to associate with only the best of chickens. I want was all he had to say, and it was provided. In chick school, he was always a leader. He played chicken football, basketball, held first chair in crowing choir. He met a cute co-ed and was wed. His career seemed assured and his future bright. But one morning, tragedy struck. He disappeared. The last anyone saw of him, he was tucked under the arm of a hobo who was headed for a campfire down by the railroad tracks. Alas for the chick, his parents did everything for him except the thing that was absolutely necessary. They never taught him how to save his life. It's in the context of committed, true discipleship that Jesus says to his disciples, you want to save your life, you have to, for my sake and the gospels, be willing to lose it. What is he pressing here? I believe that what Jesus is pressing to his disciples and what we need, what I need to appreciate and see tonight is the true concept of surrendering self to Jesus. When I say he is Lord and he is ruler and he is master of my life and he's on the throne of my heart, have I surrendered all to him or not? I'm not going to save my life. One of the great paradoxes in all the New Testament found some six times. I will not save my life unless I'm willing to lose it. And that's discipleship. So three things tonight. Are you surprised by that? We're going to think in threes again tonight. I want to start with desire. The reason I start with desire in the context of Matthew chapter 16, again, Jesus says... If any man comes after me, let him deny himself. But he makes a point, if anyone desires to come after me. You see, it has to be your decision. It has to be the decision of your will, the decision of my will, to truly let Jesus lead. To absolutely surrender myself and to allow Jesus to lead. See the problem with Peter. As Peter says what he says and he does what he does, Jesus said, because Peter, you're not mindful of the things of God. You're not thinking God's thoughts. My desire has to connect itself to my decision of faith. It's not something that my parents could choose for me. Oh, please understand and appreciate. Parents can help influence and should, but ultimately it has to be my fit, my faith. It has to be your faith too. It has to be your decision. It has to be an act of your will. Jesus, you're in the driver's seat, not me. Jesus, you lead in my life, not me. It starts with decision, but that's not where it ends. 
the decision must then move into denial. If anyone desires to take up his cross, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. And that's interesting language. You see, it's the concept of me as an act of my will surrendering self to Jesus as Lord. It's a denying self, control of self. Self is what usually gets in the way. Self is what moves us, that moves me in a position where I want to do what I want to do. I want to think the way I want to think. I want to live the way I want to live. And Jesus says you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. You know, the Apostle Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, and in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Y'all see self-denial there? You see the point that Paul is making? And the life that I live, Paul says, the life that I now live, there's a decision, there's a choice, and he's connecting his choice and decision to his denying of self. And the life that I now live, I live by faith. I live by faith. All right, Paul, faith in who? Faith in God, Jesus Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, I think, I think, my judgment, the Apostle Paul appreciated the concept of self-denial as it connected itself to his faith because, see, he made it personal. The language in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 is, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. He gave himself up for me. This is my faith. I'm declaring tonight my faith that had I been the only one, Jesus would have died for me had I been the only one. Now, I know what Scripture says. He tasted death for every man. You're as just as important as I am, but I make it personal. That's how much He loved me. He gave Himself, Jesus did, He gave Himself up for me. You see how that love, you, you see how that should motivate me to make that decision? And as a result of my decision and my will and my faith, I'm surrendering. I'm denying self-control of self. It, it has to be personal. That crucifying of self is not easy. Not until or unless it's prompted by love. He loved me. But it's a denying self. Control of self. There's so many things that get in the way. You know, when you, when you go through the book of Hebrews and you get to about chapter 11, we know in Hebrews chapter 11 it's marked as the hall of faith, the faithful, by faith, by faith, by faith. And cast into that text is verse 6 of Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, and a lot of you are finishing it right now, must believe that he is, and that he is rewarder of those who what? Diligently do what? Seek him. Faith. You see how faith connects to diligently seeking him? But if you erase the chapter division, what you find in chapter 12 and verse 1, thing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And the discussion had been about faith and without which it's impossible to please God. And God rewards those who diligently seek Him, surrendering self to Him diligently. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin that can so easily ensnare or beset us and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. There is so much there in that passage. I'm only going to unpack one thing. Believe it or not, preachers can do that. So I'm only unpacking one thing in Hebrews 12 there. Lay aside every weight. The by faith life, enduring to the end, surrendering self to the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. Lay aside every weight, every encumbrance. He says, lay it aside. Played high school basketball into my sophomore year. I, I started going through a growth spurt. I had eyes for Leanne Crow, sophomore year of high school, going into my junior year. She, she didn't even know I existed. But I had eyes for Leanne Crow. She paid attention to Daryl Reynolds, and the reason I thought that Leanne Crow paid attention to Daryl Reynolds this week because Daryl Reynolds could dunk a basketball, and I could not dunk a basketball. And so what I did, what I did is I, I put those weights around my ankles. The entire summer, the end of my sophomore year, going into my junior year, I, everywhere I went, I had the ankle weights on. I mean, it got so bad that mom was saying, you know, you can't wear those to church, right? I mean, I had them on everywhere. Because in my mind, I'm dunking a basketball. Starting my junior year, guess what I'm doing? I'm dunking a basketball. And the ankle weights lived on me. They were attached to my body. I, I did get to where I could dunk a basketball. Leanne Crow didn't even change her at all. Here's what I never thought about doing. I never one time thought about keeping the weights around my ankle while I played the game. Because here's what I knew. It would slow down my progress. It would hinder me. They would be an encumbrance. And so I laid them aside. I took them off. That's what the Hebrew writer's talking about. He's saying, Paul, look here. You say that you've got this by faith kind of walk and Jesus is really Lord of your life and you're surrendering self to Him and you're being committed to Him as a disciple and following Him. you got some stuff on you that you shouldn't be carrying around. you got to lay it aside. It's slowing down spiritual progress. It's hindering your walk. And you've got to deal with it. And that's not easy to do sometimes. You see how decision quickly has to move into denial, the crucifying of self. And that's why Jesus said some of these things even to his disciples. Even Christians who, who want to be committed, they'll need to hear this. I need to hear this. We sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. You, you, you see the personal decision there? I have decided to follow Jesus. That's a great song. Not, not so hard for me to do. And y'all had 400 and what, 30, 40 plus people on Sunday morning? What if we, if we had a sung the song Sunday morning, I have decided to follow Jesus, and over 400 people are singing that with me? I'm feeling pretty good about my decision to follow Jesus. But then you get to that standard, if none goes with me, I still will follow. Oh, that starts to change things a bit. So see, I go back out in the world. In the real world out there where we go to school, where we work, in the communities, on the ball fields, sometimes you may be the only one. What will you do then? 
What's your decision then? What's my decision then? See how the text gets difficult? And Jesus needed to do it for that reason. I guess what I'm wanting to do is ask you a question. Can I do that? When for you, when for you, and I just want you to think about it. When for you is it hardest, most difficult to follow Jesus? When is that for you? Is it in your home? Are you letting Jesus lead in your marriage? Are you letting Jesus lead in your parenting? Are you letting Jesus lead as a child and honoring mom and dad? Where is it most difficult for you to be a disciple? To surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ? To be under the authority of his word? What about at work? What about at work? I wonder sometimes how many... When they punch in at work, they just kind of clock out from following Jesus. There's tough bosses out there. There's some people that do cruel things. There's some people that hadn't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they're going to ask you and sometimes expect you to do some things that will compromise your integrity. Does it get tough for you? It can. What about on the road? What about on the road? Enough of this. Hey, I'm headed to Florida. I left Jesus in Texas. That won't work. We know that. I left, I left God in Texas. I'm going to Florida. We know we can't do that. But am I the same person in Cedar Park that I am in Dallas? And I'm the same person in, in my home when I'm with my wife that I am when I'm in a hotel room and there's no one there but me and the Lord? This is where I used to stop, of where it gets difficult. Where is it hardest for you to follow Jesus? And you're probably thinking, I'm glad you're going to stop here. I'm going to add one more, though. I, I was preaching this a while back somewhere, and, and I mentioned these three things. And as I was done, and somebody came up to me and said, Paul, you, you talk about where it's most difficult to, to surrender to the lordship of Jesus and to follow Jesus, and you left one out. I said, okay, I need to hear it. What is it? He says, in your car. I said, I left that out for a reason. We'll just, we won't go there. <laughs> Amy and I first, we've been married 31 plus years. Amy and I hadn't been married very long. We were, we were in a lectureship, had gone to, to listen, and we're both sitting down in the pew, and the preacher was preaching there, and he was, he was talking about what his wife says about him. He said, my wife says that I'm, I'm the gentlest of men that you'd ever meet. I'll open the door for everyone to let them into the grocery store, and then I'll get into my car in the parking lot and try to run over all of them. Amy looked at me like, that's, that's you. So I, I decided I wasn't going to bring up, is it hard for you in the car to follow Jesus? And so we're not going to talk about that tonight. This is real. And Jesus says you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. You have to surrender. But sometimes, sometimes when we think about surrendering to Christ and 
denying selves. Sometimes we simply think about, and sometimes I've been guilty of only preaching in the areas like I kind of had tonight about avoiding sin and avoiding doing the wrong thing. And, and that's there, and that should be talked about. But what about the positive things? I mean, what, what does it look like for Christ to live in you? In a positive way, in the, in, a, in the language of Jesus when he was described, he was described as someone who went about doing good. Well, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, that ought to be something that defines me as someone that goes about doing good. So what is denying yourself, control of yourself, taking up your cross, following Jesus, submitting to him as Lord? What does that look like? What does Christ in me look like? Go to Matthew 10. I want you to see something that Jesus says, again, in the context of losing your life for my sake in order to find it, in the context of being a disciple. Look at the text in, Luke, in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, beginning in verse 37. He who loves father, Matthew 10, 37. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's kind of what we've been talking about with the exception of what it means to not allow any other earthly relationship to come before your relationship with the Lord Jesus. So that's kind of what we've been talking about. But notice beginning in verse 40. He who receives you, Jesus says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone, verse 42 gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. I missed that for so long. Maybe you didn't. But I missed that for so long. In the context of a discussion about saving your life and the losing of it, the surrendering of self, the denying of self. And Jesus talks about receiving a prophet and talks about receiving a righteous man. And there's a lot there. And then he talks about even giving a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, the, the, the little ones, the, the little people, the the people that in Jesus' day were considered insignificant, of no value, not worthy of even a cup of cold water. And Jesus says, you know, when you welcome those who preach the gospel and you're hospitable to people who are genuine followers of mine, who are righteous and humble servants of King Jesus, and you welcome the little people, the little ones, the nobodies, he said, you won't lose your reward. Now, I don't want you to leave tonight thinking that you can buy your way into heaven. Well, see, we started with grace, right? 
hear me please. If I want to save my life, I have to be the kind of servant that has surrendered myself to the Lordship of Jesus in service of those people who cannot defend or take care of themselves. And maybe one of the reasons in the past that I haven't done that like I should, maybe I wasn't living the way Jesus wanted me to live because I wasn't thinking the way Jesus thought. I have to share selflessly of myself with others who are in need. Just go about, Jesus says, doing good. Be zealous to do good works. Seize opportunities in redeeming the time. Seize opportunities when they're afforded to you based upon the responsibility, the obligation, the ability that you have when you can. Decision that connects to denial. And then finally, devotion. Devotion. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says it this way. In Mark 8 and verse 38, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Ashamed of me and my words. I have to let Jesus lead. And I have to leave self behind. But in surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as a committed follower of Jesus, I, I have to be loyal to His words. How can I say I'm loyal to Him if I'm not loyal to what He taught? If I'm ashamed of His words? When we were growing up, Dad preached. We didn't eat out much. But every once in a while... Dad would come home from the office and he would say to us, we're going to go out to eat. And man, that was a special occasion when we could go to the cafeteria. Now, I'm dating myself a bit, but I'm from Texas. So it's White's Cafeteria, Luby's Cafeteria, Furs Cafeteria. You got to go to the cafeteria. Wow, what a night. You see, because when we ate at home and Mom cooked at home, you ate everything Mom fi fixed. She put it on the table, you ate it. She put broccoli on the table, you ate broccoli. You go to the cafeteria and you get in line. And Mom and Dad says you can get what you want to get. Wow. That means I can say yes to mashed potatoes and no to broccoli. I can say yes to jello and no to green beans. This is pretty cool. And you just pick and choose what you want. It's a cafeteria line. Can, can we treat the Word of God like we do a cafeteria line? Can, can we just pick and choose what we like? Yeah, man, I, I like this over here about people serving me and people loving me to the point of giving me the benefit of the doubt. I like that. 
I don't like this denying self. I don't like that. I don't like some of the things that Jesus taught about marriage, and I don't like some of the we can't. I can't go through that like I do at the cafeteria line and just pick and choose. Sometimes I can miss the wisdom in the Word of God. Some of the things that Jesus taught, some of the things that he commissioned his apostles to teach, having that authority as his ambassadors. And, and sometimes I can miss the wisdom in the Word of God because I'm asking wrong questions. And you're thinking, okay, you're losing me now. You can miss the wisdom in the Word of God because you're asking wrong questions. Sometimes, maybe I'm asking myself the question, can I? Can I do this? When perhaps the better question or the wiser question is, should I do this? I'm surrendering my life to the Lordship of Jesus. And it's not about me, it's about Him. And He asked me to deny myself control of myself. He's asking me through the text of Scripture to walk in wisdom. To not walk as fools, but to walk as wise, Ephesians chapter 5. And sometimes I'm not walking in wisdom, and sometimes I'm not surrendering to principles of truth because I may be asking the wrong questions. I may be so inclined to ask the question, can I, when the better question as a committed disciple is, should I? Should I do this? Should I put this into my body? Should I, should I make this decision to go here or to go there? Should I watch this? Should, a lot of these, should I? Not can I, but should I? Should I do that? Is that what's best for me and my influence? Is that what's best for my family and the preservation? You know, the, the hen house parable. Sometimes I'm missing things that Jesus wants me to see. And following him, because I may be asking the wrong questions. Devotion. Just loyalty to Jesus' words as a result of loyalty to him. Let Jesus lead. Leave self behind. Be loyal to Jesus and his words. If any man desires to come after me, Jesus says, Matthew 16, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Follow me. Because whoever desires to save his life, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But for my sake and the gospel's, whoever loses his life. That's the one who will find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? My Jesus, who loved me enough to die for me, my Jesus is worthy of me surrendering my life to him. Amen? Will it be easy? No.
Will it be worth it? Yes. Yes. So if you're here tonight, do you know my Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he gave his life for you? Do you know that he shed his blood to make possible the redemption of your sins, the forgiveness of your sins? Do you know that he loves you that much? Do you know that he is both Lord and Christ, that he reigns supreme? And if you're here tonight and you are not in Christ, please consider what it means to be without Christ. Come to him in faith. Humble yourself before him, acknowledging him to be the Christ of God. Repenting of your sins, changing your mind and your will, turning yourself and your will over to him and surrendering in faith. The obedience of faith by being immersed in water. The obedience of faith by being baptized by heaven's authority for the remission of your sins. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And God has made you a promise that he will save you and he will cleanse you. If you're here tonight and you have stopped following him and surrendering yourself to him, turn from that. Ask for his forgiveness. His mercy is new every morning because he is faithful. He will pardon your sins and he will mark, remove them as far as the east is from the west. And remember him the more and you can leave in fellowship and favor with God, walking in victory and assurance of life eternal. You have to come and surrender yourself to Jesus. We invite you to do that while together we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.